peeps. You're listening to She's My Cherry Pie, the baking podcast from the Cherry Bomb Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jesse Sheehan. I'm a baker, recipe developer, and author of three baking books, including my latest, Snackable Bakes. Each Saturday, I'm hanging out with the sweetest bakers around and taking a deep dive into their signature bakes. Today's guest is Hethel Vasavada. Hethel is the culinary creative behind the Milk and Cardamom Cookbook and website. Hethel joins me to talk about her baking life, the Indian treats she ate growing up, competing on MasterChef when Christina Tozzi was the judge, and her next baking book. We also walk through one of her most beloved bakes, gulab jamun bundt cake, a riff on the traditional Indian dessert. Stay tuned for my chat with Hethel. Thank you to Plugra Premium European Style Butter for supporting today's show. Get ready to savor the season with Plugra Butter. With the holidays right around the corner, I know so many of you are planning what baked goods you'll be making. Maybe you're thinking about a pumpkin chiffon pie with an all-butter crust for Thanksgiving, or buttery sugar cookies decorated with royal icing for that next cookie swap, or some light-as-air gougere for New Year's Eve. The pastry chefs and bakers I interview for this podcast are the best in the business, and they all agree on one thing when it comes to baking. Ingredients matter. Plugra Premium European-style butter is the perfect butter for your next baking project because it contains 82% butter fat. Also, it's slow-churned, making Plugra more pliable and easy to work with. I've been using Plugra ever since my first professional baking job. My go-to are the unsalted sticks. I get to control the amount of salt in the recipes, and the sticks come individually wrapped, perfect for precise measurements. Sticks or solid, salted or unsalted, whichever you prefer, Plugra Premium European-style butter is the ultimate choice. Ask for Plugra at your favorite grocery store or dash over to Plugra.com for a store locator and some delicious holiday recipes. That's Plugra.com. Today's episode is also presented by California Prunes. I'm a California Prunes fan when it comes to smart snacking. Funnily enough, at the same time we started this podcast, my doctor told me how good prunes are for your gut, your heart, and even your bones. Prunes contain dietary fiber and other nutrients to support good gut health, potassium to support heart health, and vitamin K, copper, and antioxidants to support healthy bones. So prunes became a daily snack of mine. I have them in my cabinet at home, I put them in smoothies, and I bring them with me when I'm on the go because they are perfectly portable. Now let's talk about my true love, baking. California prunes are a great addition to baked goods, especially this time of year. They work beautifully in recipes with rich and complex flavors like espresso, olives, and chilies. And they enhance the flavor of warm spices, toffee, caramel, and chocolate. Consider adding prunes to scones, gingerbread, coffee cake, or any baked good that calls for dried fruit. If you're looking to make some holiday showstoppers, like a fruitcake you make ahead of time, keep prunes in mind when you're assembling the dried fruit you need. They add just the right texture and flavor. Be sure to check out the California Prunes website at californiaprunes.org for recipes and more. That's californiaprunes.org. Los Angeles Bomb Squad, thank you so much for coming to our baking celebration last week at Republique. I had so much fun meeting all of you and hearing from our guest speakers and panelists. We ate a lot of great baked goods and had so much fun. Thank you also to our hosts at Republique and to our friends at Plugra Premium European Style Butter, California Prunes, and Ghirardelli for supporting our event. Let's check in with today's guest. Hethel, so excited to have you on She's My Cherry Pie and to talk gulab jamun cake with you and so much more. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. 
So you have said that your mom was your biggest inspiration in the kitchen. She's a natural-born chef. She never followed recipes. She used her intuition to create delicious Indian meals. However, despite being inspiring, while you wanted a pink buttercream frosted cake for your birthdays when you were little with flowers piped on top and your name written in fancy cursive, your mom had other ideas. Can you tell us what your mom would make you for your birthday instead of cake? She sure did. Man, every year it was something different, but the most memorable one is one year she made me a cedo cake. So cedo is basically semolina that's toasted in ghee till it gets really nutty and fragrant. And then you add like a simple syrup basically to it to sweeten it and for the semolina to soak it all up. Think of it like a really sweet semolina meets oatmeal vibe. And she would then take it and like Play-Doh, Form it into a cake shape <laughs> and then stick not just a birthday candle, but a tapered table candle into it. I don't think she knew what it was, but it was a prayer candle. <laughs> I love how she was really trying. How would you describe your dessert style? I like to call it like Indian desserts and in drag. It's just everything is extra and over the top. The pinks are pinker. The gold is golding. The flowers are, there's more flowers. I've always really liked everything extra, as has my family. Even when we go to weddings, I remember sharing pictures of like my family members at a wedding versus my husband's family photos at our wedding. All you see is sparkles and bright colors on my side of the family. But I really like just showing the desi joy that you feel when you're eating these desserts and having it in like a visual way on the dessert. I was hoping you could tell us about your first book. I know there's another one on the way, and we'll talk about that, too. But tell us about your first book, Milk and Cardamom, which is the same name as your blog or your website. But it's hybridized sweets, which blends flavors of your Indian heritage with your American upbringing. Can you tell us about the book? This book was literally me mashing up all the foods I wanted as a kid but never really got until I was older (laughs) with all the things I actually got. And then there's some recipes in there that I, like— didn't have the heart to change. So I have my turmaki laddu recipe in there that's like traditional to how my mom makes it. And my mom's kind of a health nut. So like she, instead of deep frying the whole wheat flour in butter, she actually will make like a flatbread and toast it and then blend it. So there's not as much fat in it. But I have a lot of like my cedo recipe is in there with memories of my mom making me cedo birthday cakes, I guess. <laughs> and then I have a lot of fusion desserts. And when I put this book out, I honestly was so nervous because it's such a niche subject. And I was like, I don't know how many people can relate. Can you tell us what year it was? This was 2019 when the book came out. And I remember like mildly panicking because I was like, what if no one can relate? What if people aren't into this? Because baking is not a big thing in Indian culture, at least in my parents' generation. My mom would tell me how, like, no one had ovens. You had, like, your town baker that you would bring ingredients to, and they would bake something with whatever you brought them. But there was no, like, grandma's cookie recipes that were passed down or anything like that. I was like, what if no one relates? What if no one buys it? What if no, you know, that, like, full imposter syndrome panic. And the book came out. I realized very quickly how many people there are like me, especially first-generation Indian Americans who can relate that grew up with bandas but wanted, like, funfetti. And I also realized because most moms were not making mitai at home, 
a lot of people didn't know how to make. And if they lived in an area that didn't have an Indian store or a sweet shop nearby, when they're doing celebrations, the closest thing they can really have to something sweet is cakes, cookies, pies. And I found a lot of people making desserts for my book for their holidays and creating food traditions around the items that are in my book. I remember being like extremely like, this is crazy. Like I remember growing up with gulab jamun that my my aunt would make. And it was her gulab jamun that really just like, they're always so perfect. I remember getting in trouble because I would steal them when they're like fresh out the fryer, soaking in that syrup and they're like nice and warm and they like melt in your mouth. And those are like strong food memories for me. And now there's people growing up. Now it's like their fourth, fifth year making this cake that they make every Diwali. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is crazy. Like there's kids growing up that are like, oh, yeah, my mom would make this gulab jamun cake. That's (laughs) wild. Yeah, that is so cool. Going back a little bit, can you tell us about your experience on MasterChef? I think it gave you some confidence or definitely gave you confidence to pursue a career in food. Yeah, it gave me confidence, trauma, All the good stuff that comes with reality TV and being (laughs) on TV. I grew up with the mindset that in order for you to be successful or legit in a certain field, you must have a degree in it. And I didn't have a culinary degree. I didn't go to culinary school. I was all self-taught. Another thing is in order to, I think, be a chef, you have to a certain amount of confidence and ego to be like, hey, eat my stuff and pay me. I didn't have that. I mean, my friends and family, they're all like going to say, yes, it's good. Yeah, you know, yum, whatever. But I had no idea like how I stacked up against other amateur home cooks. And my husband suggested doing MasterChef and forced me to try. I was the only person in my cohort to apply with a dessert. Once I was there, they had these like mini cooking. What they would say is, we're going to show you how the kitchen works. But reality, it was you have an hour, make something go in the test kitchen. And I made French macarons from like memory. And everyone else around me had like meat and swooshes of purees and sauces and veg. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not making it. Because all I did was do, I was just doing sweets the whole way through. And somehow, I I mean, partially maybe it was impressive that I did French macarons. But also I think token vegetarian also helped. I went, I'm not, I'm not like dumb to not realize that. And I made it on the show. And on the show, it was Christina Tosi's first year judging. So we actually had a baker in house. And when she would, turned to me when she would try things off camera and she would turn to me and say, Hubble, this is really good. Or, you know, Gordon Ramsay would turn to me and like, you did really well with this. You know, it slowly boosted my confidence. Like, okay, no, I belong here. And one of the things for the show that they wanted you to do is obviously cook from your heart, meaning cook things that have meaning to you. And if you didn't, more likely than not, you're not getting any TV time. So everything that you make better have a story behind it. And that was just kind of like an unspoken rule. So I would really like dig deep during each challenge to like, where will this take me? What story can I bring into this? And I started to learn how to kind of storytell with food. I'm excited to talk about the cake. But before we do, I just want you to briefly tell us about your new book, which is coming out in October of 24. Yes, I'm so excited. So my next cookbook is another baking book. But this time I'm sharing how to do all that dessert drag that I like to do. So how to decorate cakes, but all the cakes and cookies and tarts and pies that are in this book. The decorations are inspired by arts and handicrafts in India. And I'm not talking like paisleys and henna and elephants and peacocks. I'm talking 
Madras checkerboard. I'm talking bandhani tie-dye. I'm talking about lacquered wood. The small things that are within the art community that's been passed down by tradition over generations. I grew up in a crafting family. My mom does beadwork and textile work. That was really the deep inspiration to where these designs came into my head. So expect really beautiful desserts and really fun Indian American nostalgic flavors. We'll be right back. Today's episode is also presented by Ghirardelli Professional Products. Ghirardelli is America's number one premium chocolate company. When baking and making desserts is your passion and your profession, you want premium ingredients. Whether putting your own spin on chocolate chip cookies, building your entremet with a layer of chocolate ganache, or whipping up some chocolate buttercream for your next layer cake, you want a chocolate that takes your creations to the next level. The Ghirardelli team selects the highest quality beans from around the world and maintains high standards throughout the entire chocolate-making process. They roast only the cacao nib, not the entire bean, which results in a more consistent and intense chocolate flavor. They also refine the chocolate and conk it for hours to ensure a velvety melting sensation without bitter off notes. No matter what kind of chocolate you need, from milk to dark to semi-sweet, and whatever form, chips, mini chips, wafers, Ghirardelli Professional Products has you covered. You can find Ghirardelli Professional Products at your favorite kitchen or baking supply stores and on Amazon. For more, visit Ghirardelli.com backslash professional. You can request product samples by filling out the Ghirardelli contact form. Visit our show notes for the link. And be sure to use referral code CHERRYBOMB. Now back to our guest. All right. Now I'm really excited to talk about gulab jamun cake with you. The cake is inspired by these Indian dough balls that were soaked in this spiced syrup. It's a quintessential Indian dessert. They're soft fried dough balls. They're yeasted, yes? No, they're not. Oh, so almost like a little cake donut that's fried. Oh, but a milk fat donut. A milk fat donut. Okay, please, please, please describe. So you would take milk fat. That would be either mava. It's called mava or chenna, depending on where you're from. You add a little bit of flour to it and a little bit of fat to it, and you roll them into smooth balls. So basically, it's like deep fried balls of uncaramelized milk fat. It's great. And the outside gets caramelized. You deep fry it at low and slow so that the inside cooks and the outside gets nice and brown. And then while they're hot, you add them to hot, simple syrup that has saffron, cinnamon, rose water, and cardamom in it. And then you let them soak. They are so soft at that point, And they just like melt in your mouth. I love it when they're warm, like straight from the fryer into the hot syrup. That's my personal preference. Some people like it when they're like cold and have been in the fridge for a while. And are they served like on a platter of little balls or is it is it in a, a bowl, Bo- bowl. Of, of the syrup? Bowl filled. Yeah. Bowl oh filled with gosh. syrup and gulab jamun. And they're just little golden balls of joy. And they're so good. And the other thing is, Indian mitai, everything's very small and bite-sized for the most part because everything's also very sweet. There's a high amount of sugar in it because there's this idea of you basically would feed each other these sweets during big occasions. So when you get married, the first thing you do is, as a couple is you feed your partner a sweet, a mitai whether it be gulab jamun or burfi or whatever, but it's to signify starting your life together on a sweet note. And you do it for Diwali. You do it when someone has a baby. 
it is significant in the sense that it is a part of the culture and like a tradition of something good has happened. We must celebrate it with sweetness. So these gulab jamun balls, they were served at my wedding. They've been at every big party that I've had with my family. It is very fond memories, but they're really hard to make. So this is a a bunt cake that we're going to make. First things first, we're going to make the cake. So we're going to grease our bunt pan. So I always go with Nordicware. They make the best thick walled bunt pans, and they bake really well, and they stay nonstick forever, as long as you grease it really well. I've had no issues with their bunt pans ever. Then if I want like a really tall cake, I'll do a six cup pan. And if I want like a more wreath-like thinner cake, then I'll do a 10 cup. Nice. Could we use cooking spray or are you just a butter? I double. You double? I'm like, I am risk averse in all things in life. And that includes my bun cake pans. So I I actually, I butter liberally. And then I use the baking pan spray that has flour in it. Baker's Joy, I think it's called. Yeah, there's Baker's Joy, and I think Pam has one too. And I'll use that on top of it. Oh my gosh, what a great tip. Make sure it's like, because like nothing's more depressing than like you trying to turn out your bundt cake pan and it's all stuck, and you're like, why? I I couldn't agree with you more. (laughs) I love that. So we're going to preheat our oven to 325, which is a teeny bit low. No, I feel like most of the time I'm baking a cake at 350. Tell us about 325. Yeah. So what I learned is bundt cake pans, because of the nature of the shape, tend to develop humps in the center. And you'll see like a little bump coming up to keep it lower and more even so that when you flip your bundt cake pan, it's not like just lifted up on its own. I bake it low and longer because what happens is the pan gets hot, so it bakes everything that's touching the pan quicker, and then towards the center, all that, all it kind of like forces it to come up and crack and bubble up over the center of the pan. So if you bake it lower, you don't get the hump that bundt cake pans can get on I the think bottom that's, of them. I think that's brilliant. And I also think it's funny with a bundt cake, it's different because the top when you bake it becomes the bottom. So if it's yeah. humped, like you said, it's going to be a little wobbly. I think yeah. that's really smart. I love that. And now we're going to add softened unsalted butter and granulated sugar to a stand mixer bowl. Is it a KitchenAid that you like to use? Yes. So I have both the classic and the professional, depending on like how many cakes I'm making. But yeah, I use a KitchenAid stand mixer. I whip it good. It has to be three minutes. I think this is like the most, the biggest mistake so many new bakers make is not creaming their butter and sugar enough. And I don't think people realize like how important it is to continue creaming it. Yes, sure. It might look the same from minute one to minute two and three, At a molecular level, it does change because you're adding volume. You're adding air bubbles, which is insulation. Like you've ever made cookies where like the outside part bubbles and then the inside just stays in a hump. The center stays in a little lump and the outside bubbled out. It's because you didn't whip the butter and sugar long enough. Those air bubbles creates a little bit of insulation from the hot pan. And it also increases the volume. So if if you don't whip it enough, your cake's going to be flatter. You're going to have less cake. <laughs> I love that. We're going to mix on high for three minutes, as you said, till the butter turns pale and fluffy. Should we also be scraping down with a spatula or just let it go the whole three minutes? I scrape down halfway through. Okay. Scraping's very important as well, so you have a homogenous mixture. The OXO Good Grips silicone spatulas, 
They have the big white ones. Those are my favorite scraping spatulas. My other favorite spatula is, I think it's Tovalo. They have these flex grip mini spatulas, which are also extremely useful. But the reason why I like them is because the whole thing, the handle and the head, is all silicone. Mm -hmm. So there's no worry about the head falling off. Cleaning is easier because there's no nooks and crannies that you're trying to like get batter out of or worry that water's going to get in and like get gross. They are heat proof. The heads are just stiff enough that you can scrape without it like folding in half on itself. It can like manage a thick batter very well. And now we're going to add our eggs one at a time and we're going to mix well between each addition. What speed are we at at this point? I usually whip them at like eight, nine. Okay. Pretty much medium high. Okay. So kind of about the same as we did for the butter and the sugar? Yeah, because I like to think about it when I'm adding eggs to the cream, sugar, and butter. It's like when you're making dressing, right? Like you're whisking whatever acid really quickly before you add the oil into it or as you're adding the oil into it so that you get a nice emulsion. Same thing. You're trying to create an emulsion, so you want it to be whisking quick because if you whisk too slowly or mix too slowly, you're not going to build an emulsion and it's going to get kind of curdly looking. Now we're going to add vanilla. Nielsen Massey. I am obsessed with their Indonesian vanilla. And then if I'm going for, like, a paste, Hilala is another one that I like. And we're going to add some salt. Do you like to use kosher or do you like to use fine sea salt? Kosher, always. And we're going to mix that for 30 seconds. Still at sort of a medium high, yes? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. And then we're going to add some all-purpose flour. For this specific cake, because you need the structure because you're soaking it in so much syrup, I do King Arthur because it has a little bit of a higher protein content in it compared to other brands of all-purpose flours. So the gluten and the, the, basically the protein helps provide structure so it doesn't turn into basically like a mush post-soak. And we're also going to add some cardamom. For this one, I really like burlap and barrels, mm. cloud forest cardamom. Mm. And, yeah. and they sell just the seeds. There's many ways you can get cardamom. You can get the pods. You can get ground pod plus seed and then ground seed. I prefer ground seeds because the pods are a bit fibrous and it's hard to get them down to that like fine powder. So you end up finding these like fibers of the cardamom pods in your cake. I don't want that one. Just the seeds. And fun fact, cardamom is just like the flavors of it is just as variable. All spices are like this. They're variable in flavor depending on where they're grown, the variety that's grown. So I found Indian cardamom to be a little bit stronger and have this like menthol-y flavor to it. But when you want something a little bit more delicate, a little bit more floral, I found the Central American grown cardamoms tend to have that kind of lighter. I noticed it's only a half teaspoon, which seems like such a tiny amount. So it must have like tremendous bang for the buck. Is that correct? In my book, I say use freshly ground cardamom. Don't buy powdered cardamom. Buy either whole cardamom seeds or whole cardamom pods and grind it yourself. The reason being, a lot of the flavor compounds or the chemicals that make up the flavors in cardamom and in a lot of spices are volatile. Volatile not meaning that they're bad for you, just meaning that they're sensitive to heat and to light. And they will basically evaporate off over time. Usually within a week, I found that my ground cardamom will lose most of its flavor and I won't get as much flavor as I want. So I always grind my cardamom fresh right before baking so I can get as much flavor as possible out of it. I love that. 
Okay, so now we're going to mix. We're going to mix our all-purpose flour and our cardamom only until it's just incorporated. We don't want to overmix. Then we're going to spoon our batter into our prepared bundt pan, tap the pan on the counter three to five times to remove our air bubbles, and we're going to bake for like 35 to 40 minutes or until a toothpick mm-hmm. inserted into the center comes out clean. And can you tell people about the air bubble trick? People might know, yeah. but just in case. So when you tap the pan with the batter onto either your counter or the floor sometimes is what I'll do because a counter makes a lot of noise. It basically, one, forces the batter into all the nooks and crannies of that bun cake pan so that you're not getting these like air bubble holes where the mold is. And it also forces the air bubbles to rise through the batter and get out. Because if you have too many air bubbles in the batter, it's going to, one, cook differently, and two, you'll have holes in your cake. And it'll come out looking like Swiss cheese. And then my other question <laughs> was about a toothpick. Because I often want, when I'm testing a cake, I kind of want a crumb or two because it indicates to me that I haven't overbaked. But for mm-hmm. this cake, you want us to stick our toothpick in and have it come out clean. Yeah. One of the things that's beautiful about this cake is even if you overbake it slightly, it's okay. You're soaking that thing in syrup. I love that. So you don't have to worry about having a dry cake. I love that. It's extra insurance. And speaking of syrup, now we're going to make the syrup. So about 10 minutes before the cake is done baking, we're going to make the syrup. We're going to add water. We're going to add granulated sugar. We're going to add cinnamon sticks. We're going to add some cardamom pods, which are burlap and barrel. We're going to add some saffron. Is that? I do diaspora saffron. Diaspora, nice. And we're going to add all of that to a small saucepan. Obsessed with all clad. I am a purist. I've learned when I'm buying pots, pans, or anything, if it's pretty, that's great. But I found out that pretty ones don't usually work that great for too long. All clad is just kind of like tried and tested and lasts forever. They're great. So we're going to bring to a boil and simmer for about two minutes. Then we're going to take off the heat and we're going to whisk. OXO again. All their like good grips products are my entire kitchen is stacked with it. I love that. <laughs> we're going to whisk in some rose water. Also, is it pretty easy to... Purchase. I don't know if I've ever purchased it just in my grocery mm-hmm. store. Yeah, there's a bunch of different brands, honestly. So if you're going to buy online, Nielsen Massey makes a rose water. And the others that I like is Sadaf, which is a Middle Eastern brand, or La Cortez is another one. But do not get rose essence. Get rose water. And don't get the rose water that you use on your face. <laughs> there is a difference between all three The edible rose water, you need to make sure that it's like food grade and essence is stronger, extremely strong, like that's made for more candy making. Rose water is literally, you can even make it at home. I have a recipe for it in the next book, but very easy to make at home too. So we're going to whisk our rose water and and some Mm -hmm. lime juice. We're whisking that into our syrup that we just Mm -hmm. simmered on the stovetop. Then we're going to remove our cinnamon stick and our cardamom pods. We're going to reserve about a quarter cup of the syrup, set that aside. And I assume this is happening as soon as the cake comes out of the oven. Like, don't Mm -hmm. let it rest at all. We're going to poke what is going to become the bottom of the cake, but right now it's the top. We're going to poke that with tons of holes. Are we using a fork or a toothpick? Yeah, I use, like, the biggest fork I have and just poke because you want all these channels for the syrup to get down and in deep into the cake. So you want to poke as many holes as you can into it. If you had a long skewer, is that ideal so that it can go all the way to the bottom of the pan or just poking fork tine length enough on the top? Tine length, like up to basically how long the tines are. Okay. Because for the cake, what I had in mind is 
The bottom three quarters of it is soaked in syrup. The top half is, is drier. And that's where the glaze comes in. I love that. Love that. Makes perfect sense. So we're poking the holes into our really warm bunt, about tine length, the, the mm-hmm. length of the tines on the fork, into the bottom of the bunt cake. And while it's still in the pan, and then we're taking the remaining syrup and pouring it all over the bottom. It's going to be, it looks like the top now, but it's going to become the Mm -hmm. bottom of the cake into all of those holes, which I just love, love, love. And you've said, you know, it'll look like a lot of syrup, but the cake will soak it all up. I have to say, I mean, I have poked a lot of holes in my time. I don't know if I've ever done a like in a bunt pan when it's still in the pan. I thought that was just... Genius. What a way Mm -hmm. to get all of that moisture in there and kind of in like a clean and easy way because it's still in the pan. I guess it's like when you do it with a loaf cake, except Mm -hmm. with a loaf cake, that's usually the top. But I love it that with the bun, it's actually the bottom. So the cake soaks up the syrup. You let it rest about 10 minutes and then turn it out onto a serving plate. And I'm fairly certain there is no sticking happening in light of your amazing like butter plus spray which yeah. i love and you want to flip it while the pan is still a little bit warm do not let that cake sit in there until it's completely cool because the sugar syrup will thicken and turn into glue yep very smart just 10 minutes and then you want yeah, that just thing 10 minutes and then flip it now we're going to take that little bit of reserve syrup and we're going to combine that with powdered sugar whisk that together to make a glaze and then pour over the cake do you want to wait till the cake cools before you pour yeah. it on yeah that's another mistake I see a lot of people make is they'll, they don't wait and then get, they'll pour it while it's hot and then it turns into like a puddle of icing at the bottom of their plate. But if you wait, then it's sort of a thick glaze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then you can sprinkle with dried rose petals if you want. Where do you find dried rose petals? Yeah, Diasperco. Sana sells paneer rose petals and they're fantastic. Oh, I love that. And then you slice and serve. Mm-hmm. I had wanted to ask you about a couple of other recipes of yours that I'm in love yeah. with. So this isn't from your book, but I think I found this on Bon Appetit. But the, you have a coconut cardamom donut yeah. that is based on your favorite or at least my favorite donut from Dunkin' Donuts, which is the cake coconut donut. It is so yes. good. Can you tell us about this donut and about your family members at Dunkin' Donuts? It's a fun fact that... A, major, a lot of Dunkin' Donuts are owned by Indians. A lot. I I know it's like somewhere in like almost 50% type That's of level. incredible. I love that. So I grew up in a joint family. So that meant that as my dad sponsored the rest of his family and all the rest of my mother's family, and they all had like six brothers and well, six siblings each on each side of my family. Some of them worked at Dunkin' Donuts. So during weekends or anything like that, they would bring home like a box of donuts. And during Diwali, especially, sometimes we wouldn't get a chance to drive to Jackson Heights or Edison, which was an hour from where I grew up. We would just bring boxes of the coconut donuts to people instead of matai. <laughs> and we'd eat that with Jai. And it was like my favorite donut. So this recipe was like, what if I mashed coconut burfi, which would be like coconut, condensed milk, and cardamom, typically, with my favorite coconut, toasted coconut Dunkin' Donuts? I love that. And I love that you and I share so a good. favorite donut from Dunkin' Donuts. That we it's both so love. Good. The coconut is the best. All right, just one last thing, and you kind of mentioned it, but we might as well just keep this coconut theme going. Tell us about your coconut burfi chocolate bark. Oh, Yeah. That is super easy. It's basically a thin layer of milk or dark chocolate. It was inspired by mounds, 
or like Almond Joys. Growing up, that was my mom's favorite candy bar because it's so close to Coconut Burfi. Like during Halloween, she would make me pay her Halloween taxes in Mountain Almond Joy bars. <laughs> so it was inspired from that. So it's a layer, a thin layer of darker milk chocolate, depending on what you like. And then I mix shredded, unsweetened shredded coconut with condensed milk and a little bit of fresh cardamom and make a thin layer of that, pop it in the fridge, and then add another layer of chocolate on top. And you let that set and you can break it apart. And it is so good. And I think it's the perfect ratio of chocolate to coconut, in my opinion. Yeah. Can I just <laughs> say that I'm immediately like not going to be talking to you anymore and then I'm going to be making that because that is just that is my idea. of. I mean, I'm Reese's peanut butter cups. Yes, for mm-hmm. life. But after that, coconut and chocolate. Yeah. Like, incredible. Oh, yeah. And then sometimes what I'll do is I'll toast almonds until they're I like to have almonds to the point where they're almost like burnt, you know, when like they're deep brown in the center. And then I'll chop those and I'll add them to the top sometimes to, yeah. Thank you so much for chatting with me today, Hethel. And I just want to say that you are my cherry pie. Thank you so much for having me, Jesse. That's it for today's show. Thank you to Plugra Premium European Style Butter, California Prunes, and Ghirardelli for their support. Don't forget to subscribe to She's My Cherry Pie on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, and tell your baking buddies about us. She's My Cherry Pie is a production of the Cherry Bomb Podcast Network and is recorded at CityVox Studio in Manhattan. Our producers are Carrie Diamond and Catherine Baker. Our associate producer is Jenna Sadu, and our editorial assistant is London Crenshaw. Thank you so much for listening to She's My Cherry Pie, and happy baking.